Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Puma Prenza Podcast, the pod. Thank you so much for tuning in to our third and final episode of this school year. I'm your host, Rosemary Cromwell. As always, if you like what you hear today, or if you really don't like it, please write a quick letter to the editor and send it to thepumaprenza at gmail.com. We're always looking for that kind of feedback. If you have any story tips, ideas, or comments on how we do our business, or if you want to see any and all of our content, please visit thepumaprenza.org, our website. The site has articles from the paper and lots of articles that are exclusive to the web, so go take a look. There's some great stuff over there. Speaking of the paper, those are out in your advos now, or please stop by Mr. Hart's room and two if they aren't. Today's episode is about economics. Please don't leave. Whether you're a junior or an underclassman set to take econ sometime in the near future, or somebody who's already taken it, economics, both the class and the field of study, have a tremendous impact on the world around us. So we sat down with Prenza staff writer Evan Jackson and Creo Gov, Econ, and leadership teacher Mr. Brady to get the lowdown on his experience taking the class in college, learning to teach it, his thoughts on how economics should be taught, and we discuss our thoughts with him on some issues within the field. So without further ado, I would like to now introduce our guests, staff writer Evan Jackson. Hello. There you go. And joining us today for our episode on economics is AP Econ and Gov teacher, Mr. Brady. How are we doing? Very good. I'm happy to be here. Thanks, Thanks. for having me. Of course. So we're going to get in. Uh, it's going to be cathartic for me because teachers always get, make you do the share three fun facts value and all that. So I get to do that to, to you now. Sure. Um, the so, how the tables have turned. Yeah, exactly. So who are you? What do you like? And then give us a little more professional info. Talk about your time at Creo what you do now, all that. Sure. So first question, who am I? I'm Trevor Brady. I mean, it's very esocentric terror, uh, question here, but uh, I am a twin brother of Dylan Brady. I'm an older brother of Peter Brady, and I have a younger sister. I grew up in a family of educators, uh, so it just kind of naturally lived in a classroom and wanted to pursue that. Uh, on top of being an educator, I am a coach. I've coached a few teams here for Maria Creo, including uh, soccer, which is the sport I'm currently the head coach of. And um, in addition to that, this is my 11th year at Maria Creo. I'm the current ASB leadership teacher as well. And more than that, I just love working with students. I love working here at Maria Creo primarily because of the fantastic students like yourselves. And how long have you been here? This is my 11th year. Dang. Yeah, rounding off the 11th year. There you go. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you you had to take economics in college, correct? I did. And just prefacing, it was my toughest subject I took. Yeah. I majored in history as well as political science. Uh, I believe I earned a C plus, which was my lowest grade in college. But I was really proud of that C plus because I earned the heck out of it studying for it because it wasn't a subject that clicked right away for right. me. Kind of, why do you think that it was like so difficult to sort of get a grasp on the subject? It's a great question and one that I wrestle with in trying to impart how to best teach students because economics is kind of like a foreign language. It is not a subject that kind of garnishes a lot of attention by younger students. It is a subject where we believe it is about, you know, money and finances. And really, it's not. It's more about kind of human relationships, how humans behave. Um, you know, by definition, humans are, you know, 
don't behave as they often we predict in economics. Uh, more than that, there was a lot of graphing and relationships that I had to understand, and it just didn't click with me right away. So it was something that I struggled with, and you know, being a relatively intelligent person, at least my mom says I am. The you know, when things don't click right away, it is a little bit frustrating, and we naturally like are adverse to it. So I definitely had that you know, love-hate relationship with economics. But, you know, how fate would have it, I get the opportunity to teach. Um, when I started as a uh, student teacher, they said, what subject in social studies would you least like to teach? And I said, economics. And my teacher at the time said, well, then you absolutely are going to teach economics. Um, so in struggling with it, I had to learn strategies that I adopt for my students to give them the best tools to learn it themselves. Yeah, what was it what was it like learning to teach economics and sort of having just like grappled with it as a student and then having to learn how to explain it to other people? What was that experience like? Sure. So I know well in college I had because in terms of college 50% of the professors jobs are, you know, in the field, they're studying economics and then the other 50% is teaching the material and my professor at the time um, I believe lived more in that first realm where they were more interested in studying economics and really teaching was kind of the secondary so I don't you know need I didn't necessarily have the best experience in the class um, the teacher was also uh, grew up in a foreign country so it was hard to understand him in terms of you know his you know type of speech and then to add on to economics which is a foreign language in of itself it was it was challenging uh for me learning to teach economics uh i had a great master teacher primary teacher who worked with me but you know there were days where i would have to learn the material the night before i would teach it the next day and uh that was a constant struggle but something that ultimately hopefully made me a better teacher myself and so you mentioned your professor what is your sort of I guess general opinion of that like academic economic world like the whole upper echelon of like economists and people who sort of do this all day yeah no I think it's an incredibly interesting and worthwhile subject matter I am probably more interested in like the human behavior side of economics as opposed to the financial uh, side or making predictions in terms of how government policies will work um just i like you know humans and how they behave uh, better um but in terms of uh you know high level economists for me it's really interesting that you can get the best economists in the world 50 percent of the economists will tell you that they need to push this lever up and the other half will say actually need to push this lever down and they're both right they're both wrong it just takes time to kind of figure out you know who is right and economics is a newer field it was developed and born out of the great depression in the 20s and even before then the 1900s recessions that we had and so it is a relatively new field it is a field that is evolving as our government and interactions as we become a more globalized economy there's a lot of influx with economics so that is exciting uh, but it also poses challenges where 
you know, we have textbooks and it might be out of date just within a year because we have this theory that we believe to hold true and the reality t is often maybe different than what our theory would predict. So uh, it is an interesting subject matter. I certainly would encourage students to take AP economics if they are interested beyond to pursue it as a field in college and then maybe as a career. Um, in regards to how you sort of teach economics and the difficulties of that, um, how would you teach if you didn't have to teach for the AP tests? Because, you know, there's a very sort of specific set of criteria sure. they want you to know for the AP test. It's very graph-heavy. Something that I noticed, especially in class when I was taking economics, is it felt a lot more like a sort of a math subject than sort of a, what I was sort of expecting as like a social science. Because they have a lot of emphasis on like graphs and sort of almost mathematical relationships. Sure. Where if something happens, something else happens in a very sort of connected way. Um, so if you had more freedom, what would you focus on and how has sort of the AP test kind of changed how you teach it? Absolutely. So I think, and I have had the experience of teaching it at a academic level as well as a survey level before we kind of phase that out at Maria Creo. So I have had experience in not just teaching Gov and economics at the AP level. I would say first and foremost, I would use more time that we have uh, to go over personal finance because you know there's a lot of practical skills that I want our students to have a grasp on and I'm not saying I'm an expert in terms of you know the financial side but I do have some things that I would like to impart uh, especially considering that you know those that I teach are young and that's the best thing you have going for you in terms of personal finances you will have a long life ahead of you that you can use some of the skills the just purchasing of assets and just sitting on them and over time if they are in fact good assets that they, they will accumulate in terms of you know their growth um, I would certainly love to do more projects have some project-based learning where you would apply some of the personal finance skills I would go over more microeconomics as well uh, in developing business plans stuff like that Evan to your question about it, it being graph heavy it is and you know, my believe my role as an AP econ teacher is to make sure that students are successful for their upcoming AP test. So I do live in that kind of college board and am bound to it. Um, but hopefully throughout the time, I love to give some personal finance advice along the lines. I like to talk about current events with relation to economics. Um, but th there's a whole lot that I would love to add more that because of some of the constraints with the fact that we only teach it for a subject or for a semester less than a semester, right? If we take the test in May, um, we do kind of have to go at a, a pretty rapid pace. But um, I still think there's aspects that are certainly enjoyable. I would liken it more to not necessarily a math class, but more of a problem solving class where there are some elements of math involved too. But you do not need to be this is a shameless plug. You do not need to be a mathematician or really strong in math to do well in economics, at least in my course. Yeah. And on the, touching on what you kind of mentioned earlier with the, the textbooks going out of date, I've definitely noticed that like the academic world kind of, it moves so fast. Yeah. Like it just churns out books and literature and ideas and a, a lot of stuff that kind of goes like sort of untested and unchecked and it makes it out into like the sort of wider world. Uh, you have something to say on that yeah. too, yeah? Um, especially one thing I've heard is that 
a lot of stuff, a lot of times when people talk about economics, they really only talk about, like, sort of econ 101 ideas. And a lot of what we're sort of taught in econ 101 is very, like, it's, these, it's elementary stuff, but it's elementary not necessarily in a way that it's, like, all true. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of stuff in econ 101 is even, like, objectively false. Um, this is... So one example is that a lot of there's been a lot of research about the minimum wage, and for a long time people believed that like minimum wage increases are bad. Um, the sort of belief is that if you increase the minimum wage, it would result in a lower, um, it results in less people, and there being less jobs because the very complicated graphs um, revolving the supply and demand. And in class we were literally demonstrated how if you put a minimum wage line on a graph. It will result in the sort of lower, less jobs and unemployment. Sure. But we now have done more research, and we have found out that that's just untrue. Like they've done studies of different counties that have put in minimum wage laws, and we found that this is not a thing that actually happens in the real world. And so, often when people talk about economics, they use these very simplistic assumptions that, and they use them to support ideas that are just sort of untrue sure. or have a very specific agenda to them. No, I'm, I'm with you 100%. Yeah, and ec- economics is a whole lot of theory. Um, oftentimes our theory and what really occurs is often in conflict with one another. To your point about the minimum wage, I do believe that, you know, it has been kind of proven over time the best means to help the overall well-being of our economy, not just the lower, middle, upper echelon, is to support the middle class to create a robust economy that gives tax breaks to the middle class as well as the lower class, um, primarily because those are the ones that are going to spend any and all of the you know, tax breaks they do receive. Uh, and that is going to continue to keep our economy going uh, as opposed to trickle down. Those profits will eventually get to the top earners as well. So I'm a f- believer in helping the middle class and that is going to allow all ships to rise with that tide. Mm-hmm. Um, no. What would you say then is sort of, I think you, you were almost getting into this one in full, uh, the best application of the material is, you know? You've acknowledged, I think, even in class that it has some flaws. I remember specifically, uh, it was really funny, I think it's unit 4.6, where we hit the... Um, it's the uh, ample reserves where it's like, and here's how it actually works. Sure. None of that before happened. And I thought that was really funny. So sort of what do you think is the best like, best case scenario and best application for the uh, material? That's a great qu- question and one that I probably need to check myself. And I know I have students that are like, wait, Mr. Brady, so you taught us this entire chapter and that doesn't even really apply in the real world. And you know, that is a result, again, of economics evolving, changing. Um, to Rose's question, that is a result of the Great Recession of 2008, where we had monetary policy and how our Federal Reserve would behave one way to try and stabilize our economy. And then after the Great Recession, again, like where we were like rethinking the playbook. Okay, there was this massive level of unemployment, how we've been operating isn't the case and isn't what we should be doing going forward. So they did do a pivot. Um, So I think the best application is to look at current events and it doesn't need to be current events in terms of just like what happened yesterday, but 
you know, over the course of maybe the last couple of years, what policies is our government enacting? Have we seen it fully fleshed out? Is it having the effect in creating, you know, the desired change as our Congress would want and our Fed would want? Um, so I think some application as to some of the real effects of current policies would be something certainly interesting and worthwhile. And now that I'm thinking and talking about it, it's something that I would love to, you know, certainly add more within my own course. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I something I kind of suspected as I'm taking economics is I feel like a lot of stuff we're taught in econ is very much designed to like allow you to do higher level econ, and that's sort of it's sort of an introductory course to higher level econ. But I think that makes it quite it's difficult, more difficult to use for the average person because like the average person isn't really going to be able to apply a lot of these graphs or any of this stuff to like everyday life. Sure. In the way that you might be able to if you we learn more of like a sort of social studies style of curriculum where it's more about sort of like connections and sort of the cause and effect and sort of why things are this way yeah. rather than like this very sort of analytical view that economists love because um, economists very much seem to love having everything being sort of like a hard science like they want to have sort of the strict answers of like if you do this the economy will shift like this and this is the objectively correct yeah. way of running an economy which I feel like isn't really right because economics is much more like it's like sort of politics it's like a social science it's not really we don't have the right answers and it's so complicated you can never really boil it down to these sort of formulas in this way sure I think that's something that the sort of the way the college board wants you to learn it doesn't really capture um, it forces you to think about this in this very analytical mindset that's very withdrawn and doesn't really capture, I think, a lot of the reality that people might want to see. No, well said. Nevin, I think you'd be a fantastic exp- or textbook you know, editor, creator. I think that would be awesome, and I'd love to employ that. Uh, I think economists probably are terrible dinner guests. They're you know, boring. They maybe you know, try to you know, apply like they're smarter than others. Uh, I would say probably some of the upper level economics, which I'm really not an expert on myself. I know in terms of personal finance, it seems like a lot of it is designed to be tricky so that the average person doesn't understand it or at least thinks that they don't understand it, in which case they have to use a financial planner or use somebody else that is a quote unquote expert to get personal finance advice or to run their portfolio or retirement accounts. And I'll just say there is nobody that knows your financial situation better than your own self. So to that end, if our definition of what is an expert, they have the best understanding of whatever that entity is, you are an expert at your own economics and your own personal finance. So I don't think that we need to make economics, personal finance to be seen or viewed as trickier than it needs to be. Um, I would suggest anybody that is talking above you maybe has an ulterior motive or an agenda. Um, I know for me, because we have this perception of economics being difficult, and it is new concepts, new terms, certainly a lot of graphs, as Evan mentioned, um, it, it can be difficult, but I really tried to boil it down and make it so that it is feasible for all students. And my AP philosophy is that if you come in and are willing to work hard, to pay attention, to raise your hand, ask questions, be engaged, any student is capable of doing well in the class. And you know, doing well looks certainly different between 
uh, you know, on the spectrum, but I, I do believe that all students are capable of being successful in AP Gov and Econ. And we have seen an expansion in the program, which has been awesome. I think when I first took over, there was one subject, one class of Gov and Econ, and next year it looks like we'll have five, which is awesome. That's and really I, great. Yeah, and I wanted to say very quickly, uh, as a student who's now pretty much at the uh, end of it here, I really liked the intro you gave, uh, talking about how it is a soft science and yeah. it's kind of constantly evolving and mm -hmm. shifting. And I thought I thought that was great for sort of setting the tone and like the expectations. And then, you know, I liked I've I've enjoyed any time you've tried to bring like uh, real life into it for sure. Definitely. Yeah. So, yeah, it's an excuse on my part for anything that I don't know or anything that is different from what I say compared to the real world. That's just the built-in excuse. It's a soft science, go. so yeah. that's okay. giving myself an out. I mean, <laughs> economists in many ways often misrepresent the real world or don't really know what's going on in the real world. It's a, it's a trend I see where we have these lovely graphs, and they're so neat and pretty, and all of the lines are nice and straight, and they're all going the direction we expect. And then when it comes to policy... They really like to sort of try to make life fit into the boxes of the graphs. Mm -hmm. uh, but life is a lot messier than graphs, as I think we all know. Mm -hmm. And people, like you said at the top of the episode, people don't often behave how we sort of expect them to sometimes. And so it's, it's very funny to watch. It's a little upsetting because it's real life, but it's like funny sure. almost to watch them try to ram like the world into these like mm -hmm. neat little drawings well and i know that's a frustration where i use the term the latin term ceteris paribus you know where holding all other things constant this theory should apply as we'd predict but in the real world it's impossible to have one cause you know there's a variety of different you know players in a game there's a variety of different consequences causes and everything has an effect so to make an accurate prediction you know is pretty darn challenging given that we all behave differently we all have different motives um, so theory is one thing and our graphs would hold true if you know humans only abided by this one change but never in life is an outcome a result of just one thing but it's many causes that take place that you know we see that given consequence and effect a bit earlier you mentioned how sort of economists might make a terrible dinner guest and how they often kind of think of themselves quite high or sort of think of themselves as a bit better than you um i that reminded me of something i've sort of heard that a lot of the sort of the way people discuss e economics um, often people who don't actually have no necessarily aren't like experts in economics, but have sort of a rudimentary knowledge, will often use it as a way of kind of like shutting down other people. Um, it's very often sort of argued that like, oh, this is economics, this thing is objectively true, and so your argument is shut down. And this is used all the time whenever anyone wants to argue about like a social issue, um, especially like any sort of like. Um, this is often used by, like, Republicans whenever they're sort of in sort of conflict with um, people on the left, whenever people on the left talk about, like, expanding education or expanding, like, uh, Medicare or anything like that. Uh, Republicans will often bring up sort of specific points about, like, how this is, like, not economically feasible or whatever, and they will sort of argue that because this is – and they will sort of point to the graphs and say, well, this is untrue, um, and then sort of that ends the argument. And that's often a very bad way of doing things because those graphs aren't really reflective of reality. 
And a lot of these arguments fail to take into account things like, you know, the sort of long-term effects of something like education. Um, so, you know, a lot of people often say that, like, how are we going to afford to fund education? It's going to spend take a lot of money. But that money is made back because people get the education and they make more money later. They produce more stuff. But that's so difficult to quantify, and it's over such a long term that it sort of doesn't really mesh with sort of the sort of short-run short capitalist way of thinking about things. No, it's a fantastic point, and, you know, as a public school educator, product of public school, I'm a firm believer in the power of you know, education, and I do see it as this, you know, silver bullet that has the ability to cure a lot of social ails. Um, so I would love to see, you know, regardless of right-wing, left-wing, whoever's in the White House, Congress, to pursue a you know, education as a, an asset and to treat our, you know, greatest asset, our students. Uh, I know that's cliche, but I think it is true, um, genuinely, to really see it and to invest. And I think it is something that if we are putting good money into our public schools and higher wages for teachers and better aspects that students are interested in, like podcasts, like journalism, uh, we're going to get students that are interested. They're going to go on to create and to improve the overall health of our economy. So I would love to see more funding in public education uh, to economists that are maybe short-sighted. I think, again, that is probably human nature, and we want quick fixes, and you know, often, rarely, that, that's the case. And I appreciate more of a long-term kind of global perspective on that matter, so... Good point, Evan. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's definitely, it's just what we value to a certain extent, too. We think, you know, they can't see beyond, like, the here and now, like, OMG, the graph is going down. We need to make it go back up or vice versa. And they sort of don't think, like, long-term where we're putting our investment. You sure. Know, you got, like, every kid in preschool, you ask, all right, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, like, it's like 50% is, like, doctors. Like, it's crazy. Mm -hmm. Like, you've ever been at like a preschool graduation ceremony and had to sit through all the little kids saying what they want to be it's a lot of like doctors and people um, uh, you know that's because like the parents are like I want a kid that makes money and what makes a lot of money it's, it's doctors and lawyers and that's sort of a that's like sort of the natural result of that sort of economic thinking but that's not what brings the most value to our society like lawyers only produce so much stuff you know somebody they have to make law but you know the value of teachers is incredible and right. stuff like that. But it's also interesting to see how, like, we don't really give them as much of a boost as we ought to in achieving those goals, right? Like, all the, all, all, out of all those kids who say they want to be doctors, how many of them could, like, afford to get through medical school, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's this, like... Lawyers through law school. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, you want to do this thing that provides this tremendous value to our world. How about we, like, don't quite help as much as we should... And then we don't compensate you adequately for, you know, whatever it may be. It's it's this weird dichotomy of, like, we can all sort of agree that this thing is good, and then we, like, we just sort of sit with that knowledge and we don't, like, act on it. I think it's a really interesting, like, world trend, I guess. Yeah, well said. I wanted to be a basketball player when I grew up, but I didn't have the height or talent, so... Uh, teacher was the next best option. But I think, Rose, you make a fantastic point where what you put your money to is inevitably, to some extent, what you value, right? So I think it's a great 
lesson to look at our budget in as a country and say where are our dollars going to uh, public school where are we funding where is the money uh, because to some extent that is a great indicator of what it is that you value so again i would love to see more of our funding and resources going to support our students and to allow them to achieve whatever dream they want um, and really public school not to you know continue on a soapbox should be to support students dreams to get them to you know dream bigger than they thought was possible um, that's my platform when i run for president anyway mm. like that brady 2024 i would vote <laughs> sure so, yeah there you go um Okay, Evan, do you have anything else that we haven't touched on thus far? That you I mean, I could talk about a lot of stuff about, like, um, sure. other economics issues, like the sort of the tragedy comments. Oh, something I wanted to bring up in class, I think I mentioned to you very briefly in class, was you were talking about sort of the, uh, there's, there's the narrative about, like, the barter system going into the monetary system, and this is sort of very old economics narrative, like John Smith came up with this in his, like, book, um, or his oh, many okay. books that are actually one book. I think in class we talked, like, we mentioned it, very like in passing yes it was kind of brought up in the yeah. notes and this is sort of it's good yeah but it's, it's this, the idea is that originally human society started with a barter system where everyone you have your sheep and you want to trade it for a hat and so you have to find somebody who's willing to trade the sheep for something else which would trade to something else to eventually find to trade to the person who makes the hat because the hat person doesn't want a sheep um and, you know this is sort of a big issue and this is, and the argument is that, like, because that's so impractical, you know that everyone decided to move to a monetary system. Um, but this is sort of an untrue argument because anthropologists say, well, there's many societies in the world that don't have money, and many of those societies don't use the barter system because that is ineffective, and then bring up that there are alternatives to doing this. There's reciprocal gifting systems where people just kind of give each other stuff in the understanding that they'll get something in return later. And so this sort of is a kind of a narrative that exists that sort of money is the natural end result and like a capitalist system and like this system of money is a natural end result of like human development um, in the same way that this is, I mean, this applies to many sort of stuff. Um, but the idea that this sort of the natural end result of human development isn't necessarily true and it often kind of paves over other traditional systems um, like the idea that everything must be sort of private property and like private land must be private property is a very sort of big idea within economics that they very much do not like you know, collective property, mm -hmm. they're often quite opposed to government. Um, and this sort of, and this is often used as, like, a way of justifying, like, the removal of, like, indigenous land um, that's sort of held in commons or whatever. And, you know, the whole tragedy of the commons idea, which is itself, like, been proven false. Like, a, a scientist has gone out and found that the tragedy of the commons is not a thing um, that actually occurs with humans, because humans have foresight and can see into the future. Not literally, but can figure out what's going to happen in the future and can, like, predict around this rather than sort of being bound by, like, was often like very terrible and self-destructive short-run thinking no nice point and you know I, I will say to my students that involve the terrible economic systems capitalism is the least worse uh just as of all the terrible political systems democracy is the least worse as well so i mean it's capitalism certainly has its problems uh i think the pursuit of you know of the pie and me wanting to consume more does create inevitable inequalities and problems so i would like to see an evolution towards more sharing i'm certainly not saying socialism or supporting that but i do believe that there is some real issues that occur when we are you know constantly 
desiring more and wanting to not just have more for myself, but because I want more, you know, piece of the pie, I'm taking away your ability to eat. And, you know, that is a problem that I think we need to address as a society, something that I don't have the answer to currently. Maybe I'm looking towards you two and to help with that, but uh, I think it's a great point that you make. Yeah. I always like... And not to say that you're doing it, but I love when your grandparents will hit you with the, well, you kids will figure it out. You guys are so smart. You guys got it. And it's like, well, wait, wait, wait. Why didn't you, why didn't you do that? You were, you were young once, I think. Like, what, what happened there? Contrary to all evidence, I think you were once young. (laughs) It's the very funny, like, every, every holiday dinner conversation, they're just, like, upset at the world. And then I get turned to them and they're like, well, you'll figure it out. You guys got this, right? And I'm like, ah, all right. Yeah, I would not recommend necessarily discussing politics and yeah, economics at holiday dinners, yeah. but, you know, they do make for some lively discussions. Exactly. Mm. This um, is true. Very quickly, kind of going back to something Evan mentioned earlier, for those watching who aren't as steeped in the uh, economics as we might be, um, the tragedy of the commons is essentially... And then Evan can come in with a bit of a better explanation because yeah. I'm about to so watch the this, idea of the tragedy of the commons is that if you have like a resources that resources like shared in common, um, it comes from the term the commons is in like a shared piece of land. Like the Boston Commons is like a shared piece of land that everyone gets to use. And so the idea is that like if you have like a shared sort of resource, everyone if ever if someone like takes more than their fair share, um, then the sort of the ben- the results of that, like the degradation of your commons or the loss of your resource, will affect everyone more so than it will affect that one person. Um, and so, and that will cause other people to begin taking more of the resource because they want to not be left out and they don't want to be, like, left under. And so the idea is that eventually this results to everyone taking more than they possibly can, than is sort of available, and then that will result in sort of the unimaginable destruction of this sort of shared resource. And the belief is that, you know, this is what will inevitably happen if we, like, have shared resources. But if you look at sort of how societies usually actually function, no one is this stupid. Humans, like, can tell what's happening. We have basic reasoning skills, and we can see that, like, okay, if we all keep doing this, there's going to be issues. So if you start taking too much out of the pot, then me and my friends are going to come over, and we're going to explain to you the error of your ways, and everyone's going to get along now. Mm -hmm. And this is how it's always sort of worked, is there are communal rules and guidelines that people will set down, and that humans have successfully managed shared resources for millennia, and people have been doing this all over the world. But sort of creating the idea of the tragedy of the commons is a good way of justifying sort of privatizing everything and allowing you to sort of centralize the control of these resources into the hands of a few, as opposed to having them sort of shared between the many. And I think, I think it's one of the like, underpinnings of sort of a lot of econ is uh, it's very funny, this like, idea that we can't help ourselves and like... Um, it, like it's our, our propensity to consume is endless essentially and we mm-hmm. you know we create the scarcity it's very it's kind of funny like because in in some ways I think it can be very true and there are certainly some people who don't like to play by those communal rules and they just kind of go and like Kirby sort of suck up everything that they can get near um, and so I think that's funny but we also we seem to have like remarkably little faith in ourselves and, you know, I think it's very interesting. We sort of, we approach it from, okay, humans are terrible. We suck. We can't do this at all. So here's what we have now working on that assumption. But, and in some ways, in a lot of ways, we do tend to suck. But, you know, 
occasionally we can figure it out, you know. Humans can, are social creatures. We do yeah. like to cooperate, and we have been very successful through cooperation um, in the past, and I certainly will be in the future, uh, you know. Well, to, I mean, Evan mentioned some historical economic uh, economic theorist, Adam Smith, right, who believed that us behaving in our own self-interest is not necessarily a bad thing to the overall well-being of the economy, right? He has that quote, it's not out of benevolence by which you get your bread and meat to eat. You know, Adam Smith and the butcher is behaving in his own self-interest. He's going to make sure that there's a good cut of meat for you and that the bread is tasty, not because he wants you to enjoy it necessarily, but because you will pay for it. And that pay, paying for it allows you, me, the butcher, to get profit. It also nourishes you. So, you know, us behaving in our self-interest does create some positives too. Um, but I think there probably needs to be some check on how much we behave our self-interest. Are we still operating in a way that does allow our community to be uplifted without necessarily, as Rose mentioned, being Kirby, sucking everything up? I think those are some fantastic questions that we need to consider. Yeah. Um, I feel like, you know, society works best when you're sort of your self-interests are aligned with the interests of everyone. Nice. Like, society is built on the idea that, like, you know, what is your self-interest is often the best interest of other people, and that by taking care of other people, you are benefiting yourself because your society is healthier and everything is sort of better. Like, you care about your neighbors because if they're, your neighbors aren't doing well, then you're not doing well because right. you live right next to them and what's affecting them affects you. And I think sort of like, the op- like that vice versa, the inverse of it's true, you know, you helping out your community is often in your best interest because then you can, you know, if your community is doing well, you're doing well and you can mm-hmm. benefit from the whole group sort of working together and doing better. Yeah, and what you don't want is sort of people sort of doing their best interest at the expense of others, and that becomes sort of selfishness, and that's become sort of a severe issue in society mm-hmm. when sort of people act in only their own self-interest at the expense of others. I love all that. I subscribe to all that, and, you know, that's certainly a philosophy that I hold. All righty. Do you have uh, anything we didn't touch on that you kind of came in and wanted to talk about? Anything we missed? Any uh, parting shots for the listener and all that? No, I mean, I think, you know, if I can continue to... First off, I want to say how impressed I am with the Puma Prenza, the quality of, you know, your podcasts. I've enjoyed the few that you've put out so far. Uh, the questions have been fantastic. I wish you had a more knowledgeable, you know, guest to answer them. Um, but overall, I think you guys are doing fantastic. And you know, kudos to Mr. Hart, but all of the other people that don't get quite the notice and attention too. Um, and continuing to plug AP Gov and Econ, I think it is a worthwhile course. Uh, I'm going to adopt some of the Rose and Evan principles and making it uh, more applicable, Um, but I do think it is certainly manageable, a worthwhile course. I don't think there is a subject matter that is able to really delve into the realities of our world. Uh, My goal and dream as a teacher is to expand people's understandings, to get them, students, to see different perspectives, to have a better understanding of how our world works. So, um, you know, clearly you two have taken that to heart too, which has made me very proud as your AP Gov and Econ teachers. So A plus to you all, regardless of what Aries says. Yeah, you, you know the ideas in Econ that we're taught in class are sort of the foundations of what how people run the world. Like 
these are the ideas that influence economists. And, you know, even if they're not right, which they may not be, that does not that they're still what people believe, and they're still how we have based our society around. And they're very important to understand that. Yeah, yeah. I saw you kind of you got both of our producers smiling over here. They get the uh, they get the updated version. They seem really happy about that. Good. Uh, thank you so very much for coming on. You were lovely, despite what you say about yourself. That was a excellent episode. If you're waffling out there about taking AP Gov and Econ in the future, it is absolutely worth it. Uh, Gov is one of the most fun classes I've ever taken, and Econ can definitely, you know, it sounds like a slog, but... Uh, it can yeah, be I a challenge at times, but you can get through it. Yeah. I mean, you can just not take the AP test, like, there you go. doesn't matter. You're so worried about it. Um, we also don't use a textbook, too, which may be taboo to say, but yeah. it's the reality also. It's a very... And it definitely has its moments. It can be a very fun class, as can any class, but mm -hmm. especially Econ with Mr. Brady has been a fantastic time. So Indeed. Thank you for joining us. Hey, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Evan. Thank you. And that was our show. Thanks again for stopping by. Again, any feedback, please send it to thepumaprenza at gmail.com, and please stop by our website and take a look at all of our content, including our YouTube documentary by Kevin Way and a mountain of articles. Your host is me, Rosemary Cromwell. Our producer is Sophia Hughes. Thank you to Christian Bond for editing this episode. Thank you to our teacher, James Hart, for all your support. And thank you to Mr. Brady and Evan for giving up some of your time to make this possible. If all goes according to plan, this will be my last episode, and I couldn't be happier. When I began wanting to turn this whole podcast thing into a reality, my very first episode idea was exactly what you just listened to. And I couldn't be prouder of what we have accomplished and created and I know that this will become a hallmark of our newspaper long into the future. Or, so help me God, I will come back here and do it myself. Thank you again to everyone who hyped me up throughout the process and everyone who remained dedicated to helping me along the way. A special thank you to Sophia and Christian, neither of whom ever formally signed up for this, but both of whom have been incredibly dedicated and helpful in the formation, recording, producing, and publishing of this show. None of this could have happened without them, and I'm beyond excited to see what the future holds for them. Thank you to Mr. Hart for a fantastic three years in this thing. Without him, I would have never joined the class. Without him, I would not be here doing this right now. And it is entirely due to him that I've stuck, to, stuck with it, grown as a person, continued my journalistic journey, and because of him, I will be studying journalism at the Santa Rosa Junior College in the fall with the intent to transfer to a four-year university and to become a career journalist. And I can never possibly thank him enough for all that he's done for me. So... I hope this message at the end here comes close. And thank you for listening. It's been a pleasure being your host, and we hope to see you back soon.